We should never forget that tool and technology is there to support people and to support technology, to support processes. It's the famous PPT, People Process Technology. Technology should come last. If you put the horse before the carriage, if you're looking, if you have extra budget and you're looking for the latest and greatest shiny new toy, shiny new tool, there will be no shortage of vendor that will sell you point solution out there. Is that going to help? From Exabeam, this is the new CISO, a show about the people who lead IT security teams, the challenges they face, and how they overcome them. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to hear our new episodes first. I'm Steve Moore, and today I speak with Gorka Sadowski, Chief Strategy Officer at Exabeam, about his experience as a Gartner Analyst, how CISOs can leverage trust with a vendor to strengthen their own security posture, and what teams can do to cut through some of the BS vendors are flooding the market with. With so many cybersecurity startups out there, how can the CISO bring more of their team into the decision-making processes when it comes to finding a solution? What's the value in putting people and processes before tools? And what role can a trusted vendor play throughout this process? Okay, Gorka, if you would, please. First off, thank you for being on the show. Uh, if you would, introduce yourself and uh, tell us who you are and, and what you do. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, thank you, Steve, for having me here. My name is Gorka Sadowski, and I'm the Chief Strategy Officer for Exabim. I've uh, recently come to this role about three months in, but I've been about uh, 30 years in cybersecurity, and right before Exabim, I was a Gartner analyst for a few years, covering SOC and SIM and UEBA and SOAR, MDRs, and, and, and all the fun topics. So thanks for having me here today. Yeah, absolutely. And so I can't believe it's already been three months for us uh, with you. It has gone by very quickly. Yeah, those are almost like dog years, right? It's a very intense uh, role, but um, it's been a lot of fun and uh, no, no end in sight as far as drinking from the fire hose and helping uh, the broader security industry. So one of the things I think that, that is important for our listener to understand and, and maybe some things that they might not expect, you know, your time at, at Gartner, you had a very wide range of of uh, responsibilities there and several different product suites or um, verticals, if you will, within those. Uh, you mentioned MDR and SIM and UABA and all this. What's something that, that a normal CISO might not understand about that job that you had? And along with that, what's something that, that they might overlook in terms of utilizing someone like yourself in their uh, decision-making toolbox? So one thing that is uh, not always very known outside of Gartner is the amount of customers and vendors that we talk to. We probably talk to give or take, I, I had about six to 700 client conversations uh, per year um, while I was at Gartner. And so the beauty of that is that there are patterns that are emerging in terms of 
what are the problems that organizations such as yourself or similar organizations are facing? Uh, what have they tried? What is it that uh, worked? What is it that failed? And that knowledge is also very interesting for different vendors because vendors, by talking to Gartner analysts, benefit from these hundreds of conversations. And those conversations with vendors then in turn make some very interesting conversation with the clients where we can talk about who's doing what and what is appropriate for what problem and what is the feedback from other organizations on such and such vendor. So it's really the establishment of a virtuous circle around all of these different forms of knowledge. And then finally, then on a regular basis, those are captured in a more formal way through some uh, research that uh, Gardner publishes. And those are uh, not only Gardner-branded research, such as the, the, the MQ, the Magic Quadrant, the Critical Capabilities, or the Market Guide, and then adjacent non-branded Gardner research on any topic that is relevant to the, to the areas that you cover. So as an example, I did uh, quite a few research pieces and research notes on use cases, security use cases, the value, how to write security use cases for, for your SOC. And so it's really, once again, the complementarity between those client discussions, client being and client as well as vendors, and that research that role particularly interesting and particularly valuable to the industry. With that lay of the land, how do you see the customer, the CISO and the team, where are, where's the most opportunity there to get more value between the customer and the vendor uh, relationship? You were kind of in the middle of that. You had, you know, these six or 700 conversations. You're hearing successes, you're hearing failures. Where does this relationship go wrong from your perspective? I think very often it is never when 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 things go sour, it is rarely entirely the fault of the vendor and it is rarely entirely the fault of the the client organization or the CISO. I think it's maybe more a misalignment in expectations. And I think because communications are ambiguous by nature, right? I mean it is English or, or any type of spoken language or written language is ambiguous by nature. It is not formal. I think that vendors like often to take liberties on how they pitch their product, the capabilities of the product and the value proposition of those products. And, and then the ambiguity that is, again, inherent in any type of communication is being understood in a different way by the reader. And it's kind of, you know, sometimes wishful thinking. I, I want to read what I'm looking for. I want to read what I, would, I, I, I wish I would be reading. And so that's kind of the root of the problem is, is a misalignment between expectations. And, you know, very often when products are not fulfilling the value proposition that they were uh, supposed to 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 fulfill, then you hear the typical. And I've been I, I've been hearing both sides of the equation with the client organization saying, "Well, I thought that it was supposed to be doing this," and um, the vendor saying, "But I I never said that. You, you understood that in there." So that's very often the nature of the problem. 
And then I think, you know, compounding that is too many of the conversation today between vendors and, and client organizations at what we call speeds and feeds. And, and they are very technical and, and geeky in nature. And what is a little bit too bad in those type of situation is that the value proposition, the outcome, what the, the why, why do you need this tool? Why are you getting this tool? Sometimes get lost because the focus is really too much on speeds and feeds and integration and and weeds, if you will, of uh, some of these tools. So before we get into value, which was going to be my next topic, you kind of introduced a related subject, which is outcomes, which I think is very important. What advice would you have after going through this sort of counselor role that you're, that you're describing as these two groups coexist and sometimes collide? If you're going to march toward outcomes in general for for the person listening and you're thinking about making an acquisition, you're going to change a platform in your environment, you are focused on technology, that's what you hear, hear your team thinking about. They're talking about endpoint, they're talking about sim, they're talking about whatever. What advice do you have for them related to outcomes? How do you reset that? How do you walk into those discussions either with the vendor or your uh, justification to your leadership, or even to procurement? Where does, according to Gorko, how do you level set and reset that? I think it's, it's actually very easy. It is the magical question. The question is why? Why? Why do I need to spend this budget buying this tool? Why is this tool going to help me? Why, why, why? Why is the first question that any CISO should be asking any existing vendor or any prospective vendor? Why should I spend half hour listening to your story, Mr. Mrs. Salesperson, as you pitch your messaging? Why is really the main key? And again, and I, I remember Simon Sinek, for example, having all of these approach saying, start with why, and almost establishing a, a hierarchy between why, how, what. So why is this important? How is it going to help me? And what is it really? And once again, back to the earlier topic, too many of these conversations are around what. And as you hear the security vendors pitch their story to the industry, they will start with what? What we are? We are this such and such tool. A more interesting conversation would be this is how you use our tool, and this is how you can operationalize the value of the tool. But I think the ultimately the most interesting question is, this is why you need our tool. So start with why and work through the why, how, what, not the other way around. Why is your magic question here? I think there's value. I thought you were going to go the Toyota route, which was the obviously the Japanese industrialist that had the five whys. I thought that's what you were going to push and say, if a team member comes to you and said, hey, we need a new whatever, a new widget, and you ask why, you know, he believed in, in asking why and then asking why four more times, and you would typically get to the source of the real reason. But the uh, Simon's version is, uh, in terms of the, the ordering and making the why first, is equally, maybe even uh, more valuable from my perspective. 
uh, as well. I, I think in my past, there was often, you know, internally people that wanted to make investments and they were ready to spend a million dollars on something, but often couldn't answer the basic why. Why? What are we, what is our goal? Why are we spending our time on this? But I think to your point, to the vendor, to somebody who's requesting time, especially today, you know, why do I take this meeting? It begins to help level set, I think, out of the gate. Absolutely. And, and back to Yoda, if, if you look at you know, how Toyota sells today, I think their pitch is going places, right? And going places is really the answer to why. Why do you need a Toyota? Because I want to go places. They're not selling a car saying, my car has four wheels that are better than my competitors' four wheels. And it's not a speeds and feeds discussion. It is a why, why discussion. And further to that, I think that those organizations that are most successful do this introspective reasoning and question and work before calling the vendors. I worked at many vendors before, and it is very important for CISOs to really think about what they need before calling the vendors, before doing the demos, before doing the POCs. Because during the demos and the POCs and the pitches, you, the, the client, the CISO and the client organization, the security team will see a bunch of really cool things. I mean, seriously and furiously cool things. And sometimes you will want to buy those. And sometimes you will forget the early question for why. So before you get wowed by vendors, sunshine, and blue sky, and all of these, CISOs and security organizations should do the homework of defining what they need, how they're going to operationalize it, and why they need to do that. And in fact, in the why, how, what order. And then and only then should you call the vendor, hold the vendor's feet to the fire very, very much geared on the line to your why, how, what. Playing devil's advocate here, what about the organization that isn't sure what they should be doing? And part of the way that they explore what they should do is going out and evaluating new technology and sort of playing with you know, new capabilities and, and evaluating what's in the market and taking time with maybe resellers or partners or in some cases, vendors. Like I have had in private conversation, established CISOs tell me that they've recently been given budget, uh, a substantial amount of extra budget, and they're not sure what to do with it. Like in, in obviously in confidence. And many of them struggle with, with direction. Uh, they struggle with capability creation. They, they struggle with the why. So playing devil's advocate, what if that's their approach? What is right or maybe wrong about that approach, Gorka? We should never forget that tool and technology is there to support people and to support technology, to support processes. It's the famous PPT, people process technology. Technology should come last. If you put the horse before the carriage, if you're looking, if you have extra budget and you're looking for the latest and greatest uh, shiny new toy, shiny new tool, 
there will be no shortage of vendor that will sell you point solution out there. Is that going to help? Not necessarily. In fact, the result of that is likely going to be yet another point solution, uh, yet another interface, yet another murky value proposition at the end of the day, yet another potential for shelfware. I think what is important is if an organization has budget, maybe trying to rationalize the existing technology stack is probably a good effort and saying, okay, I have these 35 to 50 tools in my organization. What can I do to really get the one plus one equal three, the one plus one plus one equal five, and etc.? Because that's really in unleashing and unlocking that value that an organization can make progress. This is driven by people. It's driven by processes. Those processes are integration or how can you connect the dots? And then when you have budget, you look for technologies that can empower your people, make their jobs easier, and that can connect the dots between all of your different point solutions. Is it of your experience in speaking with all these companies and customers, and you mentioned you, you cited a number that is one that I hear repeated and I think is probably accurate, you know, 35 to 50 technologies for the average security team, which I think is, I believe is accurate. If you had to give a percentage of those, though, how much of that do you think is shelfware or at least underutilized, in your opinion? I think the vast majority of that is underutilized. We saw a massive effort, and and as COVID was striking, that was even more apparent, a massive effort to try and, and rationalize their technology stack, question the value of these tools, and take a hard look at that and say, well, if there are tools that I don't need and maybe I can avoid renewing the maintenance for those, then I'm going to try to not renew and spend my budget somewhere else. There are a number of approaches that have emerged uh, for that. One of the ones that I have seen work is the use of the MITRE attack framework and kind of mapping an organization's technology stack tool by tool and see what type of coverage that tool gives you against the MITRE framework. And what is interesting is if you have tools that are not lighting a bunch of those cells, or if they are lighting a bunch of these cells in that MITRE attack framework, lighting a bunch of these cells that are already lit up by some other tools and some other technologies, well, you just identified yourself a very good candidate to maybe not renew. As an example, how many ways can you do network AV today in an organization? Three, four different tools have overlaps in there. I think taking a hard look at your technology stack will identify overlaps and will identify gaps in your technology stack. One of the things you mentioned using MITRE is a tool or a method to evaluate maybe a, a less technical evaluation that I like or that I've, I've shared with others is when evaluating a technology or a capability that they have, just to ask that leader to say, what's the most interesting story you've been able to tell as the result of owning whatever this technology is? So what's the most interesting story? And then to whom did you tell that story? So that tells me two things. One is, What's the, what's the cool thing that was found or what's the meaningful or impactful or business relevant thing 
and then what's the gravity of that story? And that's typically a derivative of, of who then you, you share, with whom you share the story with, ending on a preposition there I shouldn't have, but you get the idea. I find that another great way to sort of evaluate, or at least each technology or each investment should have its, its own elevator pitch. And if you don't have that, you probably don't need it. At least that's what I've found in my past. If I could, I want to go into another topic in an earlier conversation you and I had, Gorka. You made the statement that it's a CISO's job to pierce through the veil of the vendor um, and that the job of the vendor is to vend. And it was on the subject of trust and being a trusted advisor. What did you mean when you said it's a CISO's job to pierce through that veil? What what veil uh, and how does that relate to trust from your perspective in your past? That's a great question. Before we jump into that, I, you know, the question you asked are very interesting and very relevant. What story can you tell me and who did you tell it to are, are really has the flavor of why and how. Has the flavor of why do I need this tool? And how do I operationalize the value of this tool across my organization? Because the value of why did this tool, because it gives me a great narrative, it gives me great visibility, it gives me very, very interesting observability of my organization. And who you tell that story to has elements of how do I operationalize the value of this? Who else is a customer, is a stakeholder, is an interested party in learning and benefiting from this tool? So I really like I, I really like those those questions that 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 you asked because I I I, I see the same. Well, there, there there is an expression that I got from from Gartner, and that expression is vendors are gonna vendor. And let's not forget that the role of a vendor is to vend, is 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 to sell. Now, lucky are the vendors that have a truly a powerful solution with clear value proposition because this their job is much easier. And there is a one plus one equal three. I I can help the broader industry improve their security posture and I'm providing so much value to the industry and to my clients that just by getting a bit of that value back, I'm able to grow my business and I'm able to go from startup to established company to go IPO and, and make everybody rich. But let's not forget that this should be a byproduct of me and my tools providing so much value to the organizations that that's what I deserve. I deserve to also benefit from that value created. There, we, there, there is no shortage of huge claims. There is no shortage of of startups that are going to promise you a bunch of things. And if the CISO or the client organization is not being diligent enough in, again, yes, piercing through the veil of that language, of that messaging and positioning, and doesn't understand the dynamics that are at play, then that's really on them. And I, I venture to say that in order for a person to become a CISO, he or she has probably had to deal with those situations previously. They likely have been burned before by buying this supposedly awesome tool 
whose value never really materialized. And it's back to fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. So the CISO's role is to be very diligent and being a custodian of a very important budget, being the custodian on some very key aspect of the business, it is their job to make sure that whatever tool they buy, whatever initiative they launch is really aligned to the requirements of the business. So it's on them. How do you build trust? It's a leather rinse repeat method of do what you say, say what you do, be open, be transparent, play to your strengths, have the humility to say, no, I cannot do that, or no, that's not really what we do. And that will go a long way to build trust with a client, with a CISO, a security team, and client organizations. It's really simple, actually. In my past, I had situations where you would have a near disastrous event with a vendor. And many people thought it was the end for that vendor because the bad thing happened. And I always paid close attention. So whether it's an outage or some other missed date or deliverable or problem or upgrade failure, I always paid very close attention to see what the outcome of the failure was. Meaning, how did that team respond and come together with my team to resolve it? Did they give up? Did they communicate well? Did they set new expectations? Uh, how did, did my team feel comfortable along the way or were they uncomfortable? To me, a great negative event can be a binding, uh, a, a strengthener. So I think that one important thing to mention is that things don't have to go perfectly for things to be great. But I think going in, which is where you're, you're approaching this from, is maybe don't just take a leap of faith going in, but along the way, it's okay if there's some bumps. Is that roughly accurate? I think that's very well said, and, and that captures exactly what, um, what I had in mind. I, I, I think the, the safe, unfortunately safe assumption is that the, the you know what, will hit the fan. It, it is just probabilistically uh, going to happen, and it's how does the vendor organization deal with that, come together with the client organization and together work as a team to prevail. And that's, that's very, very important because, because things will happen. So, and building trust, it takes time, but it is built along the way. And it is easy to engage in a virtual circle with more and more trust being being built. It is it is not a binary trust is not a, a, a binary quantity. It is not I fully trust you hundred percent or I don't trust you at all. It is really baby steps one towards the other that is building that trust relationship. Things can go fast. Things can go fast. Earlier we spoke about the CISOs, you know, you, you, we have to set the ground work a little bit here where many of them have a short tenure. They know they're only going to be there two years. Many more are being granted this sort of allocation of funds that they must protect in, in the form of their budget. 
picking a brand can be risky, meaning picking a product or a company, right? They, they extend their trust and maybe it's earned and maybe it, it wasn't. Maybe it's a leap of faith, as you mentioned earlier. So now they become maybe cynical because they've had trouble in the past, which leads us to a problem with trust. And we've been marching down this road, kind of getting into it and getting into the why. But how does the, from your opinion, how does the vendor come out? And what are the indicators that the vendor is aware of this and wants to have success rather than just looking for a quick sale? Like the, the CISO has been burned. They're on the defensive. They're listening to this right now and they're questioning you know, a vendor right now that's, that's calling them or, or asking for meetings. What are, the, what are the behaviors that the vendor, that the CISO should see in the vendor from your perspective? So first off, I totally understand uh, why the CISO would be slash should be cynical vis-a-vis that. In front of you, you have, um, you have a person and, and an organization that is trying to sell you something. I think a healthy dose of skepticism is warranted, including a healthy dose of c- cynicism. Look, it's, it's this funny dance that's being played between, it's almost like when you go on a date, right? You, you, you have, you know, usually people on their best behaviors and it's really expected that a CISO should have the ammunition to understand the dynamics that are at play. One of the ways that are easy for a CISO to build trust and confidence in a vendor it's the crawl walk run, right? So ask why, ask qualifying question. Again, a healthy dose of skepticism. But I think that for someone to end up in the role of a CISO probably means that that person has the right attributes to be smelling the BS, to be um, to have a an alarm that's that's well attuned to messages and and body language and voice intonation just keep asking why ask qualifying questions talk to reference customers and also a CISO should really make the whole security organization take a more important role in the selection of the tool so Spread that responsibility, which will help the CISO by cons- build consensus and get buying from from their team that this is really indeed something that is valuable for the organization. Spread the responsibility. Make sure that if you missed something, uh, if the CISO missed something in this meeting, well, maybe the security director didn't miss it in the subsequent meeting or vice versa. Make this a team effort. Make sure that you align the proper uh, selection team in there. And don't hesitate to run the product through its paces. Run it through a POC and use that POC to not, not only kick the tires on the tool, but but also understand if that tool is going to be something that you can live with for the foreseeable future and if it's going to provide value to you. You mentioned POC. In order to do that or to evaluate, 
if you had to have a short checklist, and we didn't talk about this before, so I'm putting you on the spot, but of three or four things to say, you know what, before I'm going to do on our side, we call it a test drive or maybe even a full-on POC, what would be your your handful of things that you would want to see the vendor and the CISO or the CISO representative team uh, agree on? Just a quick quick list. According to Gorka, having to to uh, to see so much of this, before we do this, I need to see three things. What are those three things according to Gorka? So funny you ask that because that was actually my first uh, research note at Gartner was um, how to do a SIM POC and an advice for clients on, on how to drive that, that SIM POC. I think there has been too much emphasis put in the POCs, again, in the speeds and feeds. A POC should fundamentally answer two or three questions. One is answer back to the why. The other one is answer back to the how. And the other one is, okay, this tool can fulfill this value proposition, can help me in here. This is how I can operationalize the value of this tool. The third question is, this might be the most wonderful tool in the world. Now, can I leave, can, can my organization be able to really get the value of this tool? And that's really what a POC should be. And again, the organization should put together before calling the different vendors should have a checklist of what is it that they want to check, not speeds and feeds, but value, outcomes, use cases. Then the how is the organization should have an idea for how to operationalize that. How is, how is my team going to take those results, work with those results? Is the user experience interesting for my team? Is it too complicated? Is it not, not powerful enough? Is it at the right level? And then finally, do I have the bandwidth and the skill set to really make this a success inside of my team? So before you call vendors, if, if you are a CISO, and that was my, my systematic advice at, at Gardner, if you are a client organization looking for a particular tool, there has to be a reason why. So define this why. Make sure that the POC you put along with the vendor, once you know why and how, then you can invite the vendor and work with the vendor and say, okay, Mr. Mrs. Vendor, this is what I need to test and validate before I buy the tool. There needs to be a strong commitment by the client organization that they're doing more than kicking the tires. There has to be a budget. There has to be a real willingness and a real commitment to move forward if and when the POC is successful. And when that is the case, and, and it's really up to the vendor to qualify that. And if the vendor feels that, yes, there is a budget, there is a need, uh, there is an initiative that's being launched, then they could, should sit down with the client and say, how can we together demonstrate that you are going to benefit from this tool, that this is the value you're going to get from this tool, and this is how you're going to operationalize this tool inside of your workflow, inside of your, of, of your team. And again, how is the T of technology and tool going to help me along the PPT, people process technology 
and goals. I couldn't agree more. One of my favorite things to remind people of or suggest is asking two things. One, what are we going to celebrate first? So let's say we buy and implement this. What's the first thing we're going to celebrate? And let's write that down and we're going to march to, toward that. And it's not, a, it's not a project milestone. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about an, an outcome. And then the other question is, in one year, what is all of this going to look like? And that gets people thinking of, okay, how am I going to grow and mature this or expand or tie into other technologies or solve other kinds of problems? What is good going to look like? Um, what is best in class? What might that look like? What do customers that are doing well with this product look like today? So they're sort of a, using that maybe as a slight benchmark. And that gets people thinking. But I, my favorite is what are we going to celebrate first? Because earlier in our conversation today, Gorka, you talked about you know these CISOs, they're, they're kind of putting their neck out to get budget. And they're, you burn political capital you know, hooking up to a vendor. And if it goes well, it's great. If it goes poorly, it's, you know, it could be um, damaging to your career even. And so that first thing that you celebrate, that's an email that, that can be retold both internally. And you're sort of saying, hey, good things happen when you give me money. And that's even a relationship that you have with the vendor. You know, one of the things I did post-breach in my, my prior job, uh, for those that have listened, they kind of know some of my past, I reached out to my vendors and asked them, what can I do for you? Most of them had never had that question from a customer. They knew that I had high demands. I expected a lot. They were surprised to get that. I'm willing to help you. What can I do for you? And I think that's, we all should want that. Um, if we're going to invest time and money, that should be the kinds of things I think we're thinking about, my opinion. No, that that's awesome. I I love it. I I think it's great. And you know that that what what can we celebrate first is is very congruent also with the successful organizations and and the successful SOC that have successfully deployed you know SIM tools as an example. What we have observed, what I was observing uh, during my you know almost more than two thousand client conversation over my, my, my Gardner uh, life is big bang deployment rarely succeed and organizations that are doing best are taking a very careful approach to iteratively deploying use cases and workflows in a very careful way. And usually what we see is the initial set of use cases, and that's why it is also very applicable to a POC. The initial set of use cases are usually a quick win, right? Just get yourself a quick win, will get people excited, it will get you goodwill with the organization, and you have something that you can point to get people excited and to get more resources, more attention, more mindshare. So a quick win. Then another one should be in that initial phase should be a, a typical problem that you see all the time. And think of that maybe as the, the, the little rock in the shoe. Doesn't prevent you from doing your business, but gosh, every time you put that foot down, it hurts and it's a pain in the butt. And then have another one, which is almost like a, like a stretch goal. 
right? One that you carefully align the expectation that you likely will not get it, but that's the type of thing that you will want to constantly, iteratively, little by little, stretch yourself towards too. So that what are we going to celebrate first is is very congruent with, hey, this is a quick win and this is a situation that that occurs all the time. So I, I really like that. So to kind of kind of close things out, there's one more topic I think that that we should cover for the listener, and that is putting kind of your your Gartner slash researcher slash strategy officer hat on. Looking into a crystal ball, where are people going specific to this industry? So what you know, everybody typically has a, a SOC or an analytic group. They probably have a SEM or, or related capabilities. Where where do you see that going? Where are people going and where do you think it'll be in, let's say, five years? What where what should the CISO be thinking about right now, Gorka? The CISO should be looking at a good balance between prevention and preventative measures, the humble acknowledgement that things will still get in, detection and response is important. And as organizations look at threat detection, investigation and response, I think the savior in, in kind of getting that whole workflow under control is very strong analytics. Analytics at the detection level with very good signal-to-noise ratio. Fewer alerts, but really meaningful alerts. Analytics baked, baked in the investigation with, can I, instead of uh, doing manual investigation, can I have analytics help me do the bulk of the heavy lifting? Granted, I will still need some people to help with that, but shouldn't analytics help me with investigation? And finally, analytics baked in the response process. So really a very analytics-focused threat detection, investigation, and response. And the benefits from some of those is that as organizations are using analytics to deal with that situation and observe everything that is happening in your organization, then that holistic visibility and observability point can be used in other areas other than threat detection, investigation, and response. It can be used to inform the business in terms of what are the users doing. And, you know, I was looking at Active Directory, and it says that John and Mary have such and such role, but that's not what I see the behaviors tell as I'm doing analytics on on what is happening. I'm looking at your CMDB and I'm seeing that and I'm thinking, you know what? That's not what I see on a day-to-day basis as those assets are communicating. So I think the extension of a security-centric view into other areas of security operations, into helping the IT organization, and ultimately in helping the business with decision support. I think that's really where security is going. So more value, more automation, and, 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 and response driven by analytics 
and leveraging that very unique vantage point to understand the intent of some users, to understand the role of assets, to inform other areas of security, inform IT, and ultimately help the business. You mentioned something uh, quickly there, and anecdotally, if you have the right type of analytics uh, in place, uh, you'll be able to generate and figure out asset ownership faster than you can with a CMDB, 99 times out of 100. And it's, it's not even a core use case, but it's a benefit if you have proper analytics, not only in an investigation, but also in a situation like offboarding. I felt compelled because you mentioned that to bring that up, but it's, it's an important thing and it's a common issue and it's becoming a bigger issue tactically in this, in the world we're in right now where we're, we're not necessarily all in the office. So not core to the problem that we have to solve, but it's certainly an important one, just in one that a SOC typically, typically gets saddled with. Yep. <laughs> so one last item, uh, Gorka, if someone's interested in hearing more from you, or getting in touch with you uh, via social or uh, Exabeam? How might somebody do that? It's very easy. Um, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn, and I, I try to uh, post things there regularly. I'm on Twitter, um, at uh, Gorka Sadovsky. And finally, my email address is very easy. It's Gorka, G-O-R-K-A, at exabeam.com. We love to hear from people. Don't hesitate to reach out. Happy to engage and uh, look forward to hearing from all of you guys. Excellent. Thank you so much, Gorka. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. That was great. That's it for this episode of the new CISO. Thank you for listening. Check out more episodes on exabeam.com forward slash podcast. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe to get brand new episodes first.